podcast named Play Nobody. It's a, it's extremely August. It's a very busy time. Um, there are organized episodes, and then there are episodes that are less so. Bill, this is going to be probably more the latter versus the former. And I'm just going to start off by saying I haven't read your Ivy League thing yet. God. I know. What, what, what good is having a work spouse if the work spouse isn't even going to contribute? Well, when people say that PAPN, by the way, college football, marriage of numbers and words featuring the robot Bill Connolly at SBN underscore Bill C and myself, Stephen Godfrey at 38 Godfrey. When we say it's a marriage, it's a marriage. There are peaks, there are valleys, <laughs> there are periods of time in which we are just not listening to one another. Um, uh, for those of you who are on the Twitter last night, uh, as before we were recording this on Tuesday, today's Wednesday, I, uh, I made a joke to our PAPN loyalists, and most of them got it, that I had to change the recording time. I have a sick child, and you were awake and functional at about 9.45 last night. Yeah. What's wrong with you? I know. We've, um, well... Okay, so A, the kid is six going on 17, and um, we feel the need to unwind in the evenings a little more as she becomes a little more headstrong every single day. Uh, and I realized that, you know, if I'm not running day-to-day Rock M Nation stuff anymore, that's the reason I originally got up at four or whatever. I don't have to get up at four or whatever anymore. Um, and so now I've kind of shifted. Instead of going to bed about 9.30, getting up about 4, now it's like go to bed about 10.30, get up about 5, sometimes a little earlier than that. Um, you know, it's really, it's, it's, uh, I'm wild and crazy. It's really just like I moved to the East Coast and maintained the same hours. Wow. No, wait, hold on. Did I do, did I do that backwards? Say it again. All right, so... Oh man, time zones are, are freaking me out here. So now it's like five, but but it's like four still. Um, yeah, we're gonna go with that. Uh, it's like I changed time zones. We'll just we'll stop there. Much like breaking a computer about twenty years ago, all all, all you have to do to break bills apparently reprogram his system clock. But it's you amazing. Don't sound, like, you, you don't know. sound your normal authoritative self. Um, <laughs> well, you just told me you didn't read the piece I slaved over just for you, and you didn't even read it. Yeah, pro- procreation is way more harmful to your health than cigarettes. I'm just going to throw that one out there. Um, yeah, so this is PAPN. It's also a PAPN in which we announce Bill. Drum roll. No, just kidding. We don't have sound effects or a producer yet, but we're going twice weekly. And and you need to specify twice weekly now and then thrice weekly during the season. Correct. Correct. As long as we can manage it, we're hoping to get some production assistance in to get the process of the show completion from literally the time that he and I stopped recording to this. Uh, Bill has to do a bunch of stuff to get the files up to your various podcast service. We're trying to shorten that down so we can actually do the show twice a week kind of floating around the 60 minute range at each episode. Uh, this is the pilot program. It's starting this week. Hopefully it runs all season long. We will build the structure as we go. And I guess this falls under the, the category of new announcements. We have been sort of lurking. I, I haven't been lurking. I think you've been lurking. I've been posting over at the Reddit page for PAPN. If you're unfamiliar with Reddit, it's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, we got the idea because the guys over at Reddit CFB have been so um, hospitable and participatory in the SB Nation culture and the PAPN culture specifically that we started our own PAPN subreddit. You can go over there. You can join up. I uh, jumped over there last week and started asking questions, um, kind of taking the temperature of a couple couple hundred hardcores and, and just saying, hey, is this something you guys would be interested in as long as we sort of got everything done? Um, also, kind of a brutal consensus on Save and Or, by the way. 
And, yeah. and it's really going to come down to picking the best Sabinor each week and only working that. Oh, so it, it, it's it's not so much that we're killing the segment; it's that people are tired of the rapid fire Sabinor, which I understand. Um, By the way, uh, another potential change. So uh, you know, we've talked about you know I've gotten a couple of requests. You need to bring back box score bingo. Um, but to me, it was like, well, we did that format and we kind of played that format out. But as uh, I had a coach text last week after the show and basically said, you need to bring that back because I only started listening right at the end. So you didn't play anything out to my ears. And I started thinking about that. And it is kind of like if we don't if we bring box score bingo back, blind box score bingo back. Uh, we don't change a thing about it. It's still going to be new for like 80 percent of the current listener base. Uh, so maybe we can bring that back at some point. Well, uh, let's just do the referendum on air before we move on to the segments of the day. And by the way, so this show, we're going to try and clock it in at a, uh, about an hour-ish over oh, under. Um, and then, uh, so what we have planned right now is the second show each week uh, will be mailbag. You guys spoke. Uh, I asked people over on the Reddit. I've asked people on Twitter. Um, it, there's a handful of PAPN listeners that I'm friends with IRL who have my phone number and have said, don't get rid of the mailbag. It's, that was a total consensus. Yeah. Bitter to vision civil war verging with with, with Saban or um the old schools want want box score bingo back but everybody wants to keep the mailbag in some capacity so what we don't do on the show if you've just joined us in this offseason uh bill and i do not do vegas picks we, we will talk about a line as it pertains to the newsworthiness of the game or if there's anything going on as vegas continues to be a much more influential part of what happens in the sport so we're not anti-gambling or anything like that um, but we don't really do Vegas lines and we don't really do picks each week in the season. Um, what we do, and what we have done before is Bill and I kind of map our viewing schedule. We talk about what games we want to watch and in Bill's case, he, he's home almost every single weekend, kind of at the central nervous system of PAPN. He'll talk about, well, Hey, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to watch this. I'm going to jump, jump between this. And then this is going to go into the DVR pile. Uh, for me, it's a, it's usually a, a lot tougher of a situation. If I'm not assigned for a particular game, what I try and do, I've learned the hard way, dude. I try and just build out three games I want to focus on entirely beginning to end. And then everything else I, I consider to be sort of noise that I'll, that I'll check in and on, you know, as, as Twitter explodes and things like that. So that's kind of how we do our previews. It's almost like a watchability thing, the way someone would pick like a, a roster of television shows versus like, Hey, I think this team's going to win by 14. Um, we'll still do that. Bill and I are still going to do that on the second show of the week. We're oh, also going the, I thought that was the first show. Anyway. Okay. Go on. Go on. Hey, all I'm right. Gonna... Well, that brings up another problem. I'll get to that. There are two shows within your work week. This is how I'm going to explain this to the people, Bill. As we move forward, PAPN will exist twice within the five day work week in America. Is that, is that clear enough? Yeah. The beginning of the week, we're going to have a show. We'll probably talk about, we'll lean more on what happened. And we'll lean more on kind of what we want to in terms of bigger topics. If one of us has a feature, if there's something going on at SB Nation that we want to touch on. The second show will be a little bit more preview oriented, a little bit more forward facing. We're going to try and build out interviews as well. Um, Our goal is not to just start trolling publicists and SIDs for the most notable people in the industry so that you guys get the same 5, 10, 15 minute interview that you hear everywhere else. It's probably soaked in cliche on behalf of someone who doesn't want to be there in the first place and is giving very clipped answers. We're not going to blow smoke up the ass of people we don't want to have on the show, but, and, and you'll, you'll see this right away on the second show this week. We're getting people that we are inherently interested in and uh, who will get down in the super, super nerdy minutia with us. Fair to say, Bill? 
Fair to say. And also, um, I also reserve the right to just get completely weird and go completely off script in the second show. But um, even even beyond like any as sort opposed of, to as opposed to all the structure. You've, right. Yeah. Just you're to realize when I say that, I understand what lack of structure we already have. So I'm looking forward to getting weird. My suggestion for box box score bingo is this, and you guys can hit us up on the various. Right now, we're trying to keep all the different messaging systems. We're trying to email is probably the worst way to get us. That's why we don't give out the email addresses anymore. Um, Twitter is still probably the best. And then please go over and check out the Reddit. Um, we, you know, it's an off-platform community, so it's not really an incentive for SB Nation, but it is a nice place for me to go to to sort of collect a bunch of information at once on on the listeners and, and interact with you guys as efficiently as possible. My suggestion, and you guys can hit us up on those forums and give your opinion, is we bring Box Score Bingo back. Um, the feedback I got was that everybody loves the idea of Bill reverse engineering a game story, uh, which is sort of something Bill can do, and I cannot. I am a reporter. I am extremely non-numerical by nature. I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, I'm an analytical person, but I don't work well with numbers. I don't know. I failed accounting several times at Ole Miss, like the basic intro level class, okay? I had to take business calculus three times uh, just to get a degree in the liberal arts. Anyway, I think we should keep it where Bill's the contestant, and that we will, I will find a box score slash game story from the previous week and try and stump Bill. Now, do you think right off the right off the top of your head, do you think that's too easy because you'll have been abreast of almost everything that happens? It's quite possibly too easy. Yes. All right. Well, let's what? try it. Okay. And if it doesn't, if it's not a blind thing necessarily, it can still be basically us walking through and talking about like the key things uh, and whatnot. But we'll see. We'll see how good. How I many am. games? How many games are there roughly in one week of of FBS football teams? Um, games featuring FBS teams and whatever. Yeah, I mean, early on, whenever when there's a whole lot of FCS competition and whatnot, you can get up into the probably oh, I don't remember what the highest would have been, but into like the sixty seventy range. Okay, uh, so so of seventy possible of seventy possible games, and you know what? If I find a high level FCS game, I reserve the right to do that. The goal will not be for you to guess the game. Although, if you guess the game correctly, I don't know. I'll find a prize to give you. I don't know what prize, but the goal will be to reconstruct the game. So, all right, there's your homework for this week. Uh, one of the things that the Reddit also reminded me of was we gave out homework and never checked it. So what, we're either the best or worst teachers you've ever had. Well, we never, ever check homework. Program Resurrection, uh, you guys put out. A couple of you guys jumped on the Reddit um, and did really, really impressive, really awesome blueprints. And we're going to find a, a segment here as we move forward in, in August to dedicate to reading some of those out loud because some of you guys worked your asses off. So I, I don't want to... I just want to pass that by and forget. Um, this this show is becoming dangerously organized. But like I th- I think that's yeah. Don't get too don't get too allergic to that concept. Um, I think that's all the all the house notes. Um, two shows in the work week. The Sunday S and P Plus show before you tweeted me and Bill is staying the same. Bill, when does the S and P Plus start to update itself? It is itself. I mean, technically I update it, but, um, you are one in the same. Yeah. So they, they, the new rankings are usually up between about 11 and noon on a God's time zone in on Sundays. Uh, this first week, obviously will be weird because the games don't end until Monday night. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, it'll be a situation where Sunday early afternoon, the rankings are up and then we record. We didn't, but we didn't do it after week one last year. I don't think so. I think we waited until two. Yeah. Can we do it after week one this year or should we wait until week two? 
Uh, I would say just so we're not recording like three shows in three days, maybe we wait till, wait till after week two to do it. There you go. All right. So the Sunday S&P Plus show will come back in its 25-minute format as we sort of just run and gun through that top 25 on the S&P Plus uh, starting in week two. And that will run all the way through. Um, let's see. We did it all the way through Selection Sunday last year. And then we just rolled the final S&P Plus in as we wrapped up yeah. bowl season. So we'll probably just stick with that format. Yeah. Does that sound good? Bill, oh, God, there's a lot going on, and most of it has nothing to do with football, and I really, really, really apologize to God or karma or, I don't know, chaos theory. Things got dumb in a hurry. Oh, man. Okay. Um, Do you want to do dumb new stuff or football things first? Because here's the deal. Football things first this week. If you go football, well, regardless of where we put it on the show, it's all SEC, baby. There's true. no G5. There's no minutia. It is straight up meat and potatoes. Arby's family pack is just gutty and primal and middle class and populist. It is just nickelback. So what do you want to do? Well, you, you brought up the bad stuff. We might as well talk about the bad, the bad stuff, stuff out. Yeah. All right, Bill choose your door would you like door number one stupid urban meyer or door number two stupid baylor or stupid jalen hurts reactions um well i I was just gonna push that into the previews okay um let's go stupid urban meyer stupid urban meyer did you really think that uh we'd be sitting here and urban meyer would still technically be the head coach at ohio state when we finished the show last week you know when they like i I managed to get that episode up before they announced that i was impressed with that but yeah they announced that he was suspended uh pending investigation so he's on oh sorry he said on before somebody corrects me he's on administrative leave which is sort of not a suspension but it's a suspension um I, once they did, once they made that move, I started to think, okay, uh, yeah, maybe it's like 60, 40 or 65, 35, he's gone. Um, and then stupid stuff continued to roll out. And now I have no idea, but yeah, one, uh, at this point, I'm at least a little surprised he's still there. Um, but I, I, I think it's probably not 65, 35 at this point that he's gone. I think those odds are shrinking. Why do you think that? I don't, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, maybe I, I'll be pleasantly surprised here, but I do think like the, the PR moves that he did, that he made uh, and that he, he somehow managed to get Zach Smith to kind of make too. It really seems like they're trying to deflect, you know, said so he followed procedure. He passed it up the chain. It was somebody else's fault was kind of the general premise of, of what he said. And um, I, I hope I, I always hate that. And I hope that doesn't work, but I mean, I think there's at least a slight chance it does. Um, a lot of people have asked if it's, uh, you know, X amount percent fire, da, 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 da. That was like the first 48 hours of it. Right. And, um, I got a lot more coaches. I got all coaches texting me and calling me versus me sort of saying, what do you think? Everyone's starting to say, well, what are you hearing? What do you think? And, um, that's usually, um, not usually almost always a sign that things are not leaking out of Columbus right. or in the agent or AD or coaching communities. Um, it's a sign that people are having a tough time applying precedent. Um, there is a, I think a general confusion 
Um, and, and we broke all this down last week in like, sort of, how do you talk about it? You talk about it in journalism terms and you talk about it in right. the football employment terms, which tends to be the most popular among sports fans, because people are just going to say, Hey, is this guy going to be coaching against my team? I'm a Wisconsin fan. I am a Michigan fan, whatever. Um, most people in the industry are talking about it that way because it, it's, it's jobs. And I know that there's a, a shallowness and a, and sort of a sickness to that, but that's also reality. And I'm not here to wag my finger at it all the time as I am as much to tell you that, Hey, this is what's going on. This is what people are talking about. So if you feel bad about that, you, you pass judgment on that. I will not think of you differently, but I, I am not here to, to constantly say we should be talking about the victims, thinking about the victims. Um, because as a person, I certainly feel that our priorities are out of whack as a reporter, I'm telling you what people in the industry are talking about. Um, so I'm trying to acknowledge the emotional depth and resonance of all this, but while at the same time tell you that a lot of people aren't thinking about that. A lot of people are thinking about just the sort of finite job, you know, who's, who's going to have what title where next year because of this. And also I, I feel like I'm defending this point. I'm not, I'm just telling you what's going on. Um, Ohio state is a seismic job change. Um, where they hire the next coach from can affect everyone. Ohio state's one of those rare jobs where I think it would even affect NFL people. Um, you know, there are a lot of NFL teams with, with really tight connection to the, to the Meyer tree, you know, the Titans here in Nashville are one of them. I'm not saying that Vrabel goes and coaches Ohio state next year, but what I am saying is there's a lot of involvement and there's a lot of potential change that could happen laterally, you know, up in the league as far as assistants go or, or, you know, uh, major programs, of course, everybody's talking about Matt Campbell at Iowa state. Um, so it's a big job and it, it has a lot of tendrils and it creates the cascade effect of, well, this person replaces them and they go here. So how, what do they do? And, you know, normally we just talk about this in November, December, because usually when we have those big, uh, strange moments like Ole Miss and Baylor and all, you know, all that kind of stuff, like those jobs aren't elite top jobs. This is probably one of the top three or five jobs in all of college football. So that being said, Bill, nobody really knows what's going to happen. This is my working theory right now. And it's not even, it's not even fleshed out enough to, to write about, although I want to, I just don't know how to say this and, and, and really dance around the, that's what a podcast is for. Yeah. This is not going to hold. Um, what happened uh, last Friday afternoon, I took my, I was, I was at like the YMCA pool with my kids and my phone blows up and it's the, it's the statement that comes out the Friday news dump. Um, Urban Meyer comes out, um, acknowledges, I guess it, like the bulk of it seemed to be like acknowledging the way that he was being portrayed in the public, um, which I thought was a little crass and not really particularly tactful. Um, I had someone who works for a major corporation involved in sports text me immediately, a friend of mine, and say, it's obvious that a lawyer wrote this statement and a publicist never saw it. <laughs> and that's, that's exactly right. He nailed it. Like, I, I, I couldn't have said it better. A lawyer wrote that statement, and here's what I'm getting at. Urban Meyer has lawyered up. He's getting, he's getting his ducks in a row. He's emphasizing repeatedly and in very clear public terms, like, I did everything I was supposed to. I followed every policy. There's a line in the sand now where Ohio State has to respond. Ohio State has to do the messy work, and Ohio State has to make the big decision here. So Meyer's not stepping down. Nope. That's, that, that's not happening. 
the fired within 72 hours moment is past. It's not going to happen. I'm playing football here in a couple of weeks, guys. <laughs> um, this is not going to hold together both. And I mean that in the short term and that obviously I really don't think Ohio state goes into week one with an interim coach, but also, and when's their first good game? When do they play TCU? Is it week, week two or three? three? Week three. Okay. All right. I don't, uh, guys, this isn't going to work. And, and I mean this on a multiple, on multiple levels, it's not going to work entering the season. It's not going to work throughout the season. And it's really not going to work any further than that. Someone is going to have to make a declarative statement and either sanction or discipline Meyer, fire him or double down and say, we are at no fault at all as the Ohio state university. And guess what? None of those outcomes are good for you. None of those outcomes are going to be productive. You're going to suffer for this. And what you're seeing right now is everyone's trying to sort of cast lots and figure out who gets to be the most victimized of the actual perpetrators or conspirators. (laughs) And it's a sick thing that happens, but that's what's going on right now. Meyer's blame shifting. The university, I think we will see blame shift soon. If we get into a standoff between Meyer and the athletic director, Gene Smith, this isn't going to work. You cannot recruit to this. You cannot hire assistant coaches to this. You cannot, you cannot market your football program to this. And you sure as hell can't go on a playoff run to this. So I don't know what's going to happen, Bill, but I know that structurally, like think about all the campaigns that coaches Bill. Like how many, how many coaches have you talked to this off season? Oh, I have no idea, but you know, a, a decent amount. Yeah. A good bit. Right. And everybody's trying to construct a linear campaign for the, for the 2018 season, you know, never satisfied. Don't quit. Hold the rope, whatever <laughs> that thinking applies to their calendar as it is structured for football, not like January to December necessarily, but sort of their calendar starts about now and it's going to run through the end of signing day. And you have to be able to hold a narrative integrity as to what it is, the goal that you're accomplishing, eliminating outside distractions, because, you know, Spencer wrote about this, a million people have written about this. One of the problems with the plausible deniability around Meyer is that everybody knows everything in a college football (laughs) program because coaches are so control focused. It's not going to hold up you're going to fall apart eventually. You're going to get out-recruited badly. Uh, I wish I could believe that. I'm not completely sure I believe that. Here's what I mean by this specific way. I don't know if a meteor hits Ohio State and they recruit worse than Wake Forest, okay? But what I mean by that is the level at which Ohio State recruits and the way in which they reload and reestablish themselves as national title contenders almost on an annual basis is going to be dramatically and severely affected. Because when you get into those swing moments where a kid is looking between Ohio State and Texas and Florida State and and Georgia, um, they're not going to look at the Buckeyes if there is a massive amount of uncertainty or pending litigation around their head coach. They're not. It is easier to recruit against an NCAA sanction, pending or otherwise, because I've seen this happen at Ole Miss, than it is to do this whether the coach is going to be there or not one of the biggest things that concerned Ole Miss throughout the Hugh Freeze situation and one of the things that helped Baylor was they got mad rule as soon as they humanly could what did they do Bill they stamped a forever contract on him and that was as much rules doing as Baylor so he could get that guaranteed money no matter what was about to happen and we'll talk about that in a second certainty is its own equity in recruiting and they're not going to be able to 
show certainty. They're not going to be able to show consistency and they're not they This is going to break the chain, maybe temporarily, maybe forever, whatever. I don't know of this current Ohio state reign. And I'm not saying they're dead in the water and done, but I'm saying this idea that I'm just Myers in total CYA mode right now. Right. The, the, the consequence of that is that it's, it, he's distancing himself from the program he oversees. He's positioning himself against the rules of the program that he oversees. You cannot have total control and, and, and create a, a marketable image in recruiting uh, and, and every other aspect, by the way. You name it, season ticket sales, sponsorships, all that crap. If this is going on, if, if, if there's this level of public infighting featuring, what, the second best head coach in the sport? Right, but the, I mean, the university said they're going to have their decision here within two weeks. And so... I mean, no recruits are signing right now. What, okay, I mean, I just, but, I mean, if Urban Meyer's there, they're signing yeah. a top 10 class this fall. Like, I just, I, I would be floored if they didn't. Well, sign. Okay, all right. But what are the, so what are the potential decisions that they can make? So, I mean, I guess, I mean, number one, you, you know, you decide to fire him and you go with Ryan day as your interim coach this fall, which by the way, Ryan day is younger than me. And he would technically be the boss now of Greg Schiano and, and Kevin Wilson among others, which would be just fascinating from. Okay. Uh, so that's so, so trash, coach. trash, but they would also right. then have their, uh, their new head coach in place. I mean, if Ryan day engineers some 12 and 0 run great, it could be him, but otherwise, you know, Okay, so you, I think honestly, like, get Matt Campbell in there. You get Matt Campbell in there on December eighth. All right, what right. what else could happen? So that's, I mean, I, I that's probably the cleanest option. But if he stays, then you know he they do a round of PR, and if they beat TCU, we get a couple gross stories about how he's changed his life around and knows what's important and blah. Um, but then, come December when it's early signing period, he signs a top five class. I mean, that's. I, I just don't see this resonating in recruiting. It, I mean, it should. I, I wish it did, but I just don't see how this would resonate in recruiting. I feel like that's a very cynical thing to say, but I don't think I'm wrong. What if Courtney sues the? What if What if Courtney sues Ohio State? Re- recruits won't care. I mean, among other things, this is Ohio State. So, I mean, the infrastructure mm. is absurd. And so, even if you're not sure if Urban Meyer is going to be there, you've got a head coach and offensive coordinator. You've got a head coach and defensive coordinator. You've got the defensive coordinator in waiting, who was one of the best defensive coordinators in the Pac-12. Like, I, at this point, I don't think you need Urban Meyer to sell your staff. Now, it, what would be interesting is if you have a situation where you're still not completely sure if maybe he's going to quit, maybe he's going to get fired in December, which I don't think happens. I think if he's gone, he's gone in the next two weeks. Um, but I do think if he's, he's gone in the next two weeks, by the way, and they, and they, Ryan days in the in room and then they hire the Matt Campbell person, urban Meyer is suing Ohio state. I don't know. No, 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 no. I I'm mean, telling you urban Meyer is going to sue Ohio right, state sure, based off I, of the statement he released. Right. And which brings I, I me to the, but the, there's a third option here, which is no longer on the table in my opinion that I for like a hot minute last week thought was going to happen, which was that they suspend Meyer for a period of games. Hmm. It's not going to happen. Meyer is not going to take any responsibility for this. That's why the statement Friday kind of shook the way I was looking at this thing. He is not going to, he refuses to let this affect his legacy. Mm. Full stop. He's not going to take responsibility for this. Whether he should or not, I'm not asking. I'm just saying he's not going to do it. 
but what's a lawsuit going to accomplish? It's going to get him money. It's not going to be like at the end of the year and, and they say, whoops, uh, I guess we screwed up here. You know, let's go to court and see if you still get to be head coach. It's going to be about money. It's not going to be about his future at Ohio state. No, but he's going to try and go on the offensive and attack. And what sure. we've seen already in the groundswell of consumer demand, which favors Meyer, obviously, as fans are wont to do, unfortunately. Yeah, that was a small I will say that was a small group, but yes. This is going to pull Ohio State in multiple directions as a consumer base and as a media entity and as a as a as a commodity. It's going to. Yeah. There's no way around this. I was shocked that he was so I I, I really thought because we're talking about, what, 70-ish hours between the news breaking and the statement? No, I'm sorry, more like 40 to 60 hours, I guess. Something, yeah. Um, I don't, yeah. Enough time with enough people and in, in, in as many uh, influential people as involved here, both in college football and Ohio State, because it's such an important program in terms of, like, you know, it's a pillar. Um, I thought for certain that they would get together and, and work as a united front against, against this, even, even they would, you know, they, they, they're appointing the outside commission to look into it, whatever, that's fine. But I thought Meyer and the university would stand as one. And what the statement Friday tells me is everybody's bracing for a fight that breaks up the entire house. And so that's why I don't think Ohio state is going to come out of this unscathed in any way, shape or form. I think the time for that is over. I just really have a tough time, Bill, thinking that Ohio State comes out and says, you know what? It's a terrible situation. We followed protocol. Shelly Meyer is not beholden to, to report Title IX because of X, and we're moving on. Do you think that's going to happen? It's it's on the board. Um, I just don't see – like any of these options, I, I just can't even pretend to concern myself with Ohio State being anything less than awesome moving forward. Like, uh, you know, in terms of recruiting, yeah, I mean, falling all the way to 10th would be falling apart for them, but I don't see them falling any further. From t- I just think the machine – is the machine. And, um, and that makes it, if we find out later that anybody besides urban Meyer helped to cover something up, like I know Zach Smith got to go on television, which was insane that he got to do that, but he did that. And he, he said, you know, Gene Smith knew blah, 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 the athletic director. Um, like if anybody else helped Meyer cover something up, it's ridiculous because this machine will go and you don't have to protect a head coach because the next one, will be just as good probably or really close to it. But I, I don't know. I just, I think the machine's the machine and I don't see it unless they make a bad hire and they can always make a bad hire, but if they make a good hire, I don't see why anything has to change. And um, I don't I like had it. a I had an assistant coach uh, who was, who is, who is no fan of Myers. Um, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people are, are right. G- gave me like option number four, which is that Myers survives this, but Gene Smith does not. And that they clean house administratively because of this, because of what Zach Smith said. And then therefore Meyer survives this. They restructure Ohio state. He actually consolidates even more power and he exits this entire thing uh, as the head coach and more in control of his program than ever. It's I, I'm not going to put amazing odds on that but nothing it's gonna i don't know what outcome could surprise me at this point let's put it that way that's like the house of cards (laughs) storyline it really is like one of the dumber everything after season two i don't know if you watched that show but when he hit the ring on the desk they should have they should have faded to black for so many reasons um all right uh that's enough that's enough for now let's move on to the other stupid hey stupid baylor it's actually this is not stupid because it's not active tense stupid right is that fair to say? 
But yeah, uh, yeah, okay. it's just the the past tense continues to get dumber. Um, so shout out to Matt Rule for getting that contract because my man went and got that contract <laughs> and got that contract. And if you've ever looked at it, I, I'm not a lawyer. I can't read exactly like I, I can't explain exactly everything in there. But the way it's always been described to me is that like he is nuke proof in terms of anything that happened before, because I'll put it this way. Well, let me just read the story first. Um, it, it comes from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Uh, Mac Engel is a reporter. I'm not going to read the whole story, but um, the Nutgraph is, according to multiple sources, the NCAA's multi-year investigation into the Baylor Athletic Department has taken, quote, a left turn to the point that stu- school officials are being advised to self-impose sanctions. <laughs> Sources said that the law firm representing Baylor in its investigation with the NCAA has recommended to school officials that it impose a one-year bowl ban for the 2018 season. The, quote, lack of institutional control, in quote, infraction, which is so vague that it can cover virtually any scenario, is the likely potential NCAA violation. Um, whew, okay. Um, here's my advice yeah. to Baylor. Yeah, here's the read the next paragraph though cuz it does kind of tell you what changed. So sources said the NCAA Sources said the NCAA recently interviewed Baylor, excuse me, former Baylor football coach Art Bryles, former Baylor president Ken Starr, and and hey, let me stop right there. Ken Starr didn't resign because of this. He just resigned because he was old, right? I think yeah. that's the case. I think and he former, like retired and celebrated himself. Or yeah. And former uh, Baylor athletic director, Ian McCall, those interviews could have changed the NCAA's direction on this case. Right. I think they, so obviously they, they all turned against the, uh, the booster network. Cause we had some of this leak out with the McCall statements that, that there was racist and prejudiced and, you know, all like McCall bury their asses. Oh my God. Um, and I wish I could trust a single word he said, but yeah. Uh, still one of the low points of my career was building a story off of an interview with him. Um, Bill, uh, everything that happened in Baylor is completely, uh, unto itself. It's not comparable to what happened at Penn state. And it's certainly not comparable to what happened at North Carolina, USC, Miami, or Ole Miss period flat full stop. However, when it comes to dealing with the NCAA, um, if this law firm is already trying to, I'm going to just tell you this from experience. I just spent a year and a half doing this. Like, if they try and show, if they, if, they, if they try and put an offering in the front door so that the plague passes them by, <laughs> shout out to the Old Testament, um, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. If they self-institute a one-year bull ban, it, it is not going to matter. Um, people like me, I, every chance I have gotten, I went on NPR and said this. I went on 30-ish radio stations this summer. And I've been saying it for the, probably the past two or three years since the Baylor scandal broke that the inability for the NCAA to enforce penalties upon those who commit actual crimes in their membership yet so aggressively and um, decisively pursue those who provide financial means to student athletes is the most embarrassing part of the NCAA apparatus. The NCAA right now, I'll give them credit. They've learned from the Penn State thing where they kind of knee-jerked and then everything that they laid on Penn State was ultimately undone after a while. Um, They've taken their time here, but if I'm Baylor or a lawyer, a a firm representing Baylor, don't try and bargain. Just get ready for the fight. (laughs) The difference here is that the NCAA, they've probably got as much 
of the consensus of, of the college football and, and national public is they're ever going to have in, in a single case, maybe even, <laughs> yeah. maybe even more so than Penn state, just because I think the sheer number of victims is larger. Yeah. I don't, um, I don't know if anything would top Penn state, but this is a, a pretty, this is as close as you're probably going to get. Well, and the, but the funny thing is I'll just stop myself. Like after a while, most college football fans who weren't, you know, Penn state rivals, didn't understand why a 21 year old, you know, sophomore, junior, senior, whatever football player was the one sort of living the punishment for what had gone on 10, 15 years prior. And so Baylor is going to have to look at the same situation. If they're going to have a program, this is the inherent flaw of the NCAA. You can't punish anybody who's involved. They should be right. punishing Bryles. They right. should be punishing Ian McCall. They should be, pu- I mean, Ian McCall is an acting athletic director at another FBS school. I know. They, they, so, they actively, they happily hired him and talked about his great leadership that he showed at Baylor. Uh, it's just the grossest thing. So the thing that blows my mind on this one is they just got done at North, at North Carolina. They could not, they couldn't enforce anything at Ole Miss. They couldn't punish Hugh Freeze. <laughs> they couldn't punish Hugh Freeze. And instead they wrote out this sort of like long winded, treatise about booster culture and they cited stuff that happened in the early 1980s which they're not allowed to do at least they're not allowed to use previous closed cases or previous allegations in current investigations in other words you can you're not allowed to look at programs linear histories as precedent when when examining the facts of the case they did it anyway big shock that they're going to change their own rules there who do they think they're going to get here who are they going after the boosters this wasn't the boosters. This wasn't the boosters. This wasn't about sports cars and thousand right. dollars in cash. Yeah, they were probably happy with everything, you know, all the results. But, um, but yeah, it wasn't. It was. Hey, the, man! Swear alert! Swear alert! Scrub ahead fifteen seconds. This was the fucking coaches and the fucking athletic directors and the fucking employees. And you're, you've been listening way too much, Jesus Samira. I don't know how they're going to do this because if they're basing their investigate, this is what kills me is that the NCAA looks for any – it can be the dirtiest port in the storm and they'll still set anchor there. <laughs> to build a case – I just want to know why you're building a case against Baylor using Bryles, McCall, and Ken Starr. Throw Starr out of there for a second in terms of involvement in the day-to-day in that building. You're supposed to be going after McCall, Bryles, and his staff and his administrators and figuring out exactly who knew what when, who carried what out – and doing that. And in this instance, maybe pursuing the players themselves. Right. We are as pro player as it gets here at SB nation. It's in our DNA. It's in our politics, but you know, sexual assault's a hell of a lot different than getting a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks or yeah, I like a million this, bucks. We're talking about this uh, the same week that 13 North Carolina football players were suspended for uh, selling Jordans. Um, that was a nice little, uh, Nice little bonus. By, by the way, though, I do. I, I, I'm constantly impressed with the reaction now compared to 10 years ago, or especially like 30 years ago. Like when, when they announced that all these UNC players were suspended, the I realize we're not the entire universe here, but the the our little part of Twitter and whatnot, the general response was, Ugh, whatever. You know that that we we are we have moved on behind beyond that being like a real thing that should get people in trouble, but. Uh, let me ask a really bad dad question. What, um, what are you getting for those Jordans? 
Well, your, shoe, Michael, your, your shoe guy, so you tell me. Well, according to Michael Felder, I, now I'm a Puma guy, so I, you know the, the you know these these uh, the, the Nike stuff is is you know beyond me. But uh, I mean, Felder says like upwards of hundreds of dollars or maybe low thousands. I believe is what he said. Um, low like, thousands. These are like I mean, like a thousand. I mean, um, and is it a, what kind of? I mean, these are just a, we're talking a pair of Jordans, right? Not cleats or is it game? Is it was it treated I, like game worn paraphernalia? No, I don't understand. I this was just the actual Jordans themselves, not cleats or game worn stuff. I think hmm. uh, like let's see the Air Jordan threes. Da 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 da. Yeah, when when asked in the comment section of an Instagram post uh, when the shoes would go on sale to the general public, a reply by the program's equipment staff indicated the shoes were a team-issued item only. It would not be available at retail. Uh, and then, you know, some people said, oh, yeah, well, <laughs> I'll pay you this much for them. Um, oh, so this is like that Supreme stuff that I see when I go to New York for work. And people are, like, lined up to get a particular kind of, like, T-shirt or bag or hat is because they've only made 500 and they're going to sell them for a couple hundred each, right? Right. I believe okay. that was the story here. Local dad learns about fashion. All right. <laughs> now, um, from, so, from another local dad, so let's not take any of this as... Uh, so, in other words, you can't... So, you wouldn't have not... You, you couldn't buy these particular shoes at the store. Right. So, the demand was quite high. Okay. Guess what? Good for them. Hope they made some money. <laughs> Hope they don't have to give the money back either. Yeah, um, we'll see about that. Who is North Carolina play week one? Um, man, I should have known you were going to ask that, and I still was unprepared. Yeah, where's <laughs> FBS? You should always have FBSschedules.com That's right. In your browser. Ooh, they're at Cal. At Cal, and then at East that hurts. Carolina, and then you that hurts. Cal. It's a one game deal, right? That it's hurts. a one game for thirteen guys, and then a few of them got multiple games. That sucks. Okay. Yep. So NCA still awful. Not really breaking news there. No spoilers. Still pretty, pretty terrible. Hi, this is Todd Vanderwerf, the host of Vox.com's pop culture podcast. I think you're interesting. I'm the I. And I think you're interesting. And every week I talk to fascinating people from the world of TV, movies, and entertainment. Have you ever wondered what it's like to write a joke for the president? Number one topic we would not joke about was national security. One of the things about writing jokes for a president is if you have the joke and then and it's totally in good taste, but then a week later something happens. There's a tragedy, there's a shooting, there's a, a terrorist attack. The joke can become retroactively in bad taste. We didn't want anything to end up in a campaign ad. Or what goes into creating the costumes for a blockbuster movie like Black Panther. We brought in the uh, head cutter from the Boston Ballet into Atlanta to give us a new suit for the stunt guys that's cut with these special gusset shapes yeah. so that they could perform, you know, like the ballet. You can find so much more information about the show at vox.com slash I think you're interesting hyphens between the I, the think, the year, and the interesting. And you can catch new episodes of I Think You're Interesting every Thursday by subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, all right. Slowly, we'll just we'll just chew through the terribleness here. Jalen Hurts. <laughs> When we yep. made the show doc for this week, this was the first thing I put on because the other stupid things had not yet occurred. Um, Alabama had a media day. 
it's really, really rare that Alabama players get to talk to the media in yeah. any sort of, in any kind of relaxed conversational environment. Also, as soon as I say this, someone from the Alabama media corps will jump in to defend the university of Alabama, which feels like a trend. Um, Alabama keeps their, their kids pretty locked up. Um, they don't let you really talk to their coaches ever. I think at bowl practices, they do. Yeah, you have to uh, at bowl practices, I think. Jalen Hurts said some things. Um, he was frustrated. Uh, what, you know, what was done was done. He was not particularly satisfied in, in, with the way in which Alabama, which really means Nick Saban, treated the offseason hullabaloo uh, regarding the quarterback race. Um, and then everyone on the internet acted calm and <laughs> provided a measured response. The end. What was the worst thing you saw? I, I went out of my way not to see a damn thing. So, and in some cases I fail miserably. In this case, I actually succeeded. I, I did not want any part of this one. But here's, here's, here are his comments, by the way. This is the, you know, what we transcribed at SB Nation. Um, this is a situation that is uncontrollable. Coaches can't control the situation. They'll dictate who plays, but as far as other variations to it, they don't control it, honestly. Like I said, the whole spring, ever since that game, they kind of wanted to let it play out. They kind of, I guess, didn't think it was a thing or tried to let it die down like it wasn't something there. It's just been, it's just always been an elephant in the room. And it's like, for me, no one came up to me the whole spring, coaches included. No one asked me how I felt. No one asked me what was on my mind. No one asked me how I felt about the things that were going on. Nobody asked me what my future held and that's that so now it's like when we try and kind of handle the situation now for me it's kind of late it's too late the narrative has already been created um so i mean he really he wasn't just talking about coaches necessarily like and he seemed to acknowledge that when when there's a qb controversy in alabama there's no way in the world you're going to kind of contain it in any way shape or form but then he also said they could have the coaches could have at least asked how he was doing and uh they didn't do that either and so um He's kind of, he was kind of raging out in two different directions. Not, not raging. He's Jalen Hurts. He's very, he's calm and he's cool. And um, he's, uh, as we saw, a very good teammate. But, um, but he's still kind of frustrated in a couple of different directions there. Um, I did not see, I guess, in defense of, or maybe to hell with defending Alabama fans, I think probably to validate the wonderful app. What do I use? Tweetbot. I have so many things muted and blocked in my lists and filters and stuff. I didn't really get to roll around in the, uh, the dog shit, you know, aspect of Alabama's reaction. I'm no, I know it's there. It's there pretty substantially. Um, what do we do here, Bill? Do we tell people not to do this? They're not going to listen. Do we explain why Jalen Hurts is a good... Our listeners will listen because they weren't going right. to anyway. Probably. Well, yeah, there's no overlap, even, even if you're an... <laughs> Al- By the way, there's nothing wrong with being an Alabama fan here, and I get a lot of people who DM me on Twitter or contact me in some way form, and they're like, I love this show. Um, thanks so much, but I'm a Notre Dame, Michigan, Alabama fan. I don't dislike you because you cheer for a team. I'm married into a New Orleans Saints family. You cannot hurt me. Um cheer for whatever team you want sometimes fan bases are bad um shout out again to 11 warriors who i think has been doing a really 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 good job job navigating their own bs uh even as you know i'm sure a a mountain of of crap is coming from ann arbor uh and criticism but they have not done the natural reflex which is sort of to close ranks and defend just because of the color of the shirt and um i think they've done a really good job with that so uh, yeah, a lot of Alabama fans are terrible. A lot of Alabama fans are stupid. Um, Alabama, more than any fan base in the United States, is encouraged to be stupid and look stupid. Um, 
it's it's a product of the ESPN and the SEC. It's a product of the you know I I am not a, a blame ESPN person for most anything, uh, but the way that the SEC chooses to market itself, the way the SEC network chooses to market itself, and the way ESPN is is just wrapped up in that, like we record or I mean, we, we, we sort of encourage, uh, records the wrong word. I was thinking about something else. Sorry. Um, we encourage this kind of behavior and then reward it, you know? Oh, it's, it's at Alabama. They're being crazy again. Well, like, no, you're just being insanely insensitive and just, and like football stupid. Let's, we can pause there and just show the obvious homework. Like this is a football stupid thing to say that Jalen Hurts should be kicked off the team, by the way, <laughs> like in every way, shape or form, how many schools right now do you think would take Jalen Hurts and how many schools like of those fifteen, Yeah. Right. And how many of those schools would have him starting probably within a week? About 105. Under, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So uh, that's fine. Continue to be awful. Um, by the way, uh, we, we didn't acknowledge this. Um, speaking of ESPN and SEC, all the things you want to blame ESPN or the SEC for, uh, Ohio state fans who are, who are outside the stadium protesting in, in favor of urban Meyer with your stupid ESPN sucks signs. Um, ESPN was like a half a day late to the urban Meyer story. Uh, Brett Murphy broke that. And while technically he is getting a paycheck from ESPN still, he is, th- he is getting that paycheck to thumb his nose at ESPN. ESPN did not, it had nothing to do with the Urban Meyer story. Uh, and it's just, I hope that one person out of those 200 people in that crowd, 20 years from now, thinks to themselves, God, that was kind of embarrassing, wasn't it? Like just one, give me like one person who, 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 who can see somewhat clearly looking back and realize that yeah, that whole thing was kind of dumb, but. Okay. So when, ask. when Alabama is involved in something, and I think we're, we'll see this at Georgia, if they maintain the way, yeah. they've, the way they've performed the last year, like if, 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 if Georgia is the Georgia, we think, uh, but we've only seen it with Alabama. And then we see it with the league as an entity. When you talk to fan, like the rank and file fan bases of Michigan and Ohio state specifically, um, not Wisconsin. Cause they're just too friendly. They're um, just great. Wisconsin fans are the best. And, and to be honest, you know, I've been up to happy Valley a couple of times. It's never really come up with Penn state fans either. Those rank and file Ohio state fans and Michigan fans are completely and totally convinced that every facet and aspect of the coverage that ESPN gives of of college football is engineered to prop up, promote, explain away, protect, you name it, Alabama specifically in the sec as a whole. Yeah. Um, It's it's weird that it, it's so concentrated on ESPN. Well, I mean, they're just, they're the death star. Like when you get that big, like you're, you're going to become the focus of, of a lot of negativity that you do earn. And then just kind of a, a, like radiant negativity that you maybe don't uh, residual, excuse me, not radiant God residual negativity that you don't necessarily earn. You're just going to get it all. And I think that that comes with the territory, but this was particularly stupid. Like There's a, the, re- the normal realm of stupid. There's a weird, there's a lack of, there's a, there's a lack of, of um, <laughs> identity here. There's a lack of self-examination maybe is what I'm looking for. Because if you've ever been to Ohio or Michigan, um, they are in large part, in large square areas, and in large portions of the population, basically the South. Yeah, you know, I know the Midwest the, is a, is a flavor, right, is a flavor or a version of what we consider to be the American South. Please do not start 
debating the borders. Um, there's not a lot of difference culturally. And yet no. there's an extreme bizarre use of provincialism when Michigan and Ohio state fans, again, rank and file. You know, if you're listening to this, you're a Michigan or Ohio state fan and Notre Dame, you can throw them in too, but Notre Dame has so many facets and subsects of, of fans because it is such a national fan base. You have people who went there who are alumni, you have younger fans, you have, you have, you know, guys in Jersey who are Irish and they just happen to be a Notre Dame fan because of that. They never even been to Indiana. Like it's harder to do with Notre Dame, but those three schools, they'll always, they'll, it happened to me when I was, you know, doing the, the old Miss stuff. A lot of Michigan fans would jump on me and just say, well, you're from the South. So you automatically think it's okay to break the NCAA rules and you don't, you know, you're from the South. You don't appreciate the integrity of higher education and, and what student athletics are supposed to be. Fuck, are you in Harvard? Like, this is the big 10. Like y- y'all are, y'all are putting jerseys over sweatshirts and throwing full cans of Milwaukee's best at each other. Like I've been there. It was not the Sorbonne. Like I, I've been to all these places. I don't know where that cultural imperialism came from. It's very strange. Like they want to, they think, well, to hell with cultural imperialism. They don't even realize that we're all basically doing the same thing. This, this, it, it's, it goes back to the old hangup on, on the academic side, I guess, you know, I do live down the street from Vanderbilt. They're not terrible <laughs> at academics. Like, you know, I can put a sentence together, even though I was, you know, I'm from Georgia was educated in Mississippi and I live in Tennessee. Um, it's, it's strange. Like Southerners don't do it's, it's probably our own fault because when we talk about Yankees, I'm just complaining about manners and food <laughs> and weather, which you can't control. But then you go to other places like Wisconsin and you know, the weather still sucks, but everybody's like the most friendliest human being you've ever, it's, it's insane. Iowa. I got hit up uh, by an Iowa fan yesterday. Said, "Hey, I have a free ticket to the Wisconsin game. Come on!" <laughs> by the way, whoever did that, um, I have to check and see what my schedules look like. Uh, I've never been to Iowa City. I'd love to go. I wanted to go to when I was a douchebag in twenty two. I wanted to get an MFA there. Um, Bill, what's going on? Should, should we fight back? And also, where are you? Because I need. This is one of those moments where I cast a, a steely eye in the peripheral over to the Missouri people. <clears throat> Because I know you're part Yankee and I know you're part Midwestern. I've been to your campus and half the freaking school is from Chicago. Yep. So I need, I need to see some, I need a loyalty kill right now. I need you to go like murder someone from the Midwest and show fealty. I'm waiting. I can give you a, a login to uh, the Missouri rivals site. Yeah. Um, if you want to see how <laughs> the, the quote unquote rank and file fans uh, respond to such things as, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, for all of Missouri's problems, they, they are very, very, very SEC loyal at this point. Um, you sure, are you sure? Well, I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure you can find five or 10% of the fan base who still thinks they should have moved to the big 10, however many years ago, which it's hard to do that when you don't get an invitation, you kind of go where you have, you know, the invitation to go. But, um, no, I, I think, you know, this, this, this fan base doesn't agree on more than like 50% of the fan base, like, or I should say more than 50% of the fan base agrees on very little. Um, but when we did a poll on rock way back in the day, a year or two into like the sec membership, something like 92% of, of Missouri fans were still happy about the sec move. Um, so I, I think they're more unanimous about this than they are about anything else. But you're, I mean, this, as I always say, this state is half Iowa and half, half Arkansas. Um, 
so I think I know as well as so anybody. if I go through the rivals account, if I go through get get on the rivals thing, I'm going to see a lot of like coded racism and um, okay, good amount, that makes good me, good that makes me but, feel better. Okay, but, you can stay. As you as you certainly uh, suggested earlier, like we we are just not all that different. Like you drive through Eastern Indiana, you might as well be in Kentucky. Like the, these these borders that we set up are. Are, 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 are just, you know, we, we, we take them, we, we take them to mean a lot more than they actually do. So, I really shouldn't make that joke. I really shouldn't. It was funny for a second, but I, the more I think and sit and think about it, like there's plenty of coded racism on the, on the Iowa part of Missouri too. Well, but, the highest concentration of anti-government separatists in the nineties was in the state of Michigan. <laughs> and it, I grew, it, wasn't, I, it wasn't Idaho. Okay. I, I grew up around the FBI uh, by virtue of my dad being an agent. And I remember the, the very frank discussions about anti-terrorist units pre nine 11 were very, very, very focused on, on the Midwest. Um, so for what it's worth, by the way, if you need to concentrate and find a villain on the internet, it's not the hardest thing to do. I probably shouldn't do this and I'll probably be reprimanded for it later, but I don't care. Um, the worst human being I can find off the top of my head is this guy at unlimited tide who has been following me for years and I castigate him, embarrass him, do everything I can when he jumps in the mentions. Um, and you know, it's kind of like you, you drag the stick across the cage and then I forget about it, whatever. And this, but on it, he, one, he still follows me. So God bless him. His Abby is just a picture of Nick Saban screaming, um, which I'm sure gets him at least half a chub. Uh, this is, this is the worst thing I could find, which is that of, of, never do this. If you have family who actually play the sport, Jalen hurts mother went onto a Facebook group that was previously dedicated to like, it was called Jalen hurts fans. Mm-hmm which this is the dual-edged sword of fame. Uh, yeah. They, of course, turned it into a lynch mob. And at the end of this, like, you know, her trying to defend her son, she has the following. She says, folks quick to speak highly of his character and demeanor, comma, but now he is completely opposite of all these accolades today. If you can turn on this young man today for speaking and not your president for any of his rhetoric, you were never, you were never for him to begin with. So my boy, Unlimited Tide, and make no mistake, he's a boy, no matter how old he is, has decided to direct the mob in the, in the area of which she lives online to show that because she was apparently an anti-Trumper, she is a good example of the weak character that's defined now by her family because Jalen was frustrated by the quarterback race. There officially lies one of the worst human beings in the world, at least in college football fandom for the week. So I found the bottom you don't have to find the bottom bill please let's talk so let's let's talk stupid football instead of stupid not football (sighs) so south carolina that that was the best transition i could make there i think that was pretty decent um you know the first thing that springs to mind we're running out of time on the jokes about must jam uh we'll see no we'll see I hear that's, good things. I hear good things, Bill. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's great. He's recruiting well. That, that didn't happen at Florida. Um, that's that's. I mean, I think he may have learned some things. He may have changed some things, what? and he may be employing strategies I, that aren't just like, "Oh, square peg does not work in round hole." Let me bang the square peg as hard as I can and scream. 
Yes. So, so um, I, it's funny, like I'll talk myself into and out of a given team sometimes while writing the previews. Um, and I assumed like when I was writing and first of all, like my, my South Carolina preview wasn't negative at all, really. It just basically said like, they're not a surefire nine and three or 10 and two team, which uh, <laughs> as I got to follow links around on the internet, uh, the two, four, seven South Carolina board was not impressed with that. Um, that, that it, you might as well be saying that they're two and 10 and, and he's going to get fired. Um, but over the course of kind of putting together the South Carolina preview, I realized like the, they were fortunate last year in a lot of the ways that they were fortunate that second year uh, at Florida when, when they went 11 and two and almost made the BCS title game. Yeah. Um, they weren't as talented obviously. And so their ceiling was a little different. Uh, they, they, they merely won nine games, but they basically, they ripped off a run of underdog success that um, I think they were six, what, six and two or five and three, five and three, I think, as an underdog uh, last year, like straight up as an underdog. They were seven and one against the spread as an underdog. Um, and that, you, that just isn't something that continues. So basically, now you're going to be a favorite more. South Carolina was almost unanimously the number two team picked in the SEC East this year behind Georgia. Uh, mm-hmm. They're given as good a shot as anybody of beating Georgia, which makes perfect sense. Um, and now they're going to have to be a favorite. They were an underdog eight times last year, and they were a favorite five times. They lost once. Uh, they underwhelmed almost every single time they were a favorite last year. You know, they lost to Kentucky. Uh, they really flirted with the idea of losing to uh, Vanderbilt. They, they just kind of limped by in their other uh, games as a favorite, but they look great as an underdog. And that, that's, that's kind of how it worked for, for Florida in 2012 too. They, they showed up, they, they, you know, ran over Georgia in the fourth quarter that year. Um, and then they tried to lose to Louisiana Lafayette. They tried to lose to Missouri, uh, a very, very beaten up and no offense Missouri team. Um, they, they, being able to motivate your team as an underdog is great, but it's going to lead to you being an underdog less. So that's kind of my biggest question about Muschamp heading into this year. Like they're going to be favored. uh, Let's see, even, even with a, what I guess is a somewhat pessimistic number 35 projection in S and P plus they're still favored in like seven games. They're only going to be projected underdogs, significant projected underdogs against Georgia and Clemson. Uh, So they're they're going to have plenty of opportunities to be a favorite. They're going to be favored in probably five of the first six or six of the first seven games. Um, How, how do they respond to that? Because most champ teams have not responded well to that at all uh, as often as not. So um that said, I mean, that, so that was kind of the focus of my piece. I think basically what South Carolina fans who got mad at me, they were looking for an acknowledgement that basically, yeah, but he's, a, he's adopting a hurry up, no huddle. So he's changed. Everything's great now. Um, the fact that he's, I, I actually, I made a mistake when I was writing the preview first, I didn't actually say the words, no huddle. Like I, I, I disregarded so completely that I forgot to mention it. So I had to go back and add a paragraph, basically acknowledging that, yeah, he and his internal co- uh, coordinator hire, um, since he got rid of Kurt Roper there, they are supposedly going to a hurry up kind of thing. Um, but that is a, that you, you have to, to make that work. You have to believe in your core that you can change that you are, you are now adopting a tempo system because it is not a tweak you make to your offense. It is a cultural shift. It changes how your defense practices. Uh It changes everything. And I will believe that when I see it, you doubt his resolve and you think maybe he he doesn't fully understand what he's committed to, which will lead him to scrapping it mid season. 
or we, mid game. Right. And, and I mean, I, you see, there are qualifiers already about how, you know, well, and we'll, we'll be able to go slow when we need to still, we'll, we'll pick it up and da, 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 I'm just, I do. I'm, I do love that quote. I, it's, it's, it's not must champs alone. I do it was, love oh, no, it no, when no, they it, say that. It, it basically turned into a, a coach saying we're going to be multiple, which uh, yeah. everybody is multiple. We're going to turn, we're going to turn into a two tight end power set. Uh, once we have a 14 point lead, no, you're not, but, you can right, do well, one, you can do one thing. Option. Yeah. We still, we still reserve the right to go four wide too. Like, okay, yeah. well, sure. Uh, but no, so, I mean, their schedule, well, technically, I mean, it could allow them to experiment with this and kind of break it in because they start with coastal Carolina. Then they do play Georgia in week two, which, um, that will certainly be a, 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 a test of the resolve, especially if they come out and they go three and three and out in eight seconds to stay in their first possession of the game. We'll see, uh, how much they can stick with that. But if they really are dedicated to a quote unquote, hurry up, no huddle, they get Marshall and week in the third game. Then they're at Vanderbilt, which is winnable, obviously, um, Vanderbilt is a strange anti Vanderbilt this year. And that I'm super excited about their offense. Well, okay. Well, hold on. I'm reasonably excited about their offense uh, and think their defense could be really bad. I thought maybe you just said that to see if I was still listening. Right. Well, and I'm not sure it worked, but um, then the next week they have at Kentucky, then they have at, then they have Missouri at home and A&M at home and Tennessee at home. Like they could be, that's actually seven out of eight games that they could be favored in to start the year. Uh, so it's a great time. If you really are sturdy defensively, which I, you know, I've got some questions, um, lot, a decent amount of turnover and, and unknown depth at both, uh, on both the defensive line and in the defensive backfield, which maybe they have the answers, but you don't know until we find out, um, if their defense is really sturdy, that'll give that offense margin for error. And maybe they work some things out, or maybe they scrap it in the first quarter of the Georgia game. And they go back to being a will Muschamp offense. It might not matter by the way, because they have Debo Samuel back and Debo Samuel was on pace for like the greatest season of all time, two games in the last year uh, before uh, being lost for the season to injury. Um, he was on pace for uh, approximately 13 kick return touchdowns. Not sure he would have maintained that, but um so maybe they have the weapons offensively that it doesn't matter what style they, they adopt. Um, I just, uh, Will Muschamp, he's been a head coach six years. He's had one decent offense. Yeah. And so it's, it's full burden of proof here. I, I will believe it when I see it, it is possible for a, you know, for, for a, 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 a tiger to change its stripes. It's possible for a coach to realize, okay, this is a massive shift and by God, we're going to do it. Um, and then it's, and it's possible that, that he's changed and suddenly he's, he's going to be an amazing offensive head coach too, but it's just, the, I, I don't figure the odds are in favor of that. So we'll see. All right. Um, I'll leave you with this on South Carolina before we jump around to the rest of the available SEC previews. Um, they're not going to shed the underdog thing anytime soon, even though they are going to be favored in a, in a weak division against most of those teams because they are South Carolina. And I think that's one of the things that fits his BS so well. Um, I think it is going to let him mask some of his weaknesses. And I also think it's going to let him, um, I just, I think it creates a good environment for the kind of stuff that he spews that did not work at Florida. Um, you know, your lunch pail ideology, your, your outwork and cliche, all that crap. Um, as long as Clemson is the basic, what, I mean, I think they were SI came out yesterday. They were number one there. Mm -hmm. They're number two or three in most everybody else's. Um, as long as Clemson is a national title power, South Carolina gets to play underdog because guess what? The other national title power that they play every year is Georgia. So they get to act like an underdog, even if they're probably more of a, 
respectable eight and four team that should acquit itself accordingly. He gets to still do that. The, the kind of y'all, y'all, they don't, they don't respect us crap and, you know, throw a trash can against the whiteboard, which is look, that's his world. That's, that's the canvas on which he likes to paint. It's a good fit. Um, sure, but he, he could actually create a long-term fairly calm culture for his crap at South Carolina and never, and never win more than nine games. Counterpoint. Here are the games that I just uh, looked back out. Here are the games in which they were favored last year. And, and, and I realize it's not as simple as saying they were either the favorite or the underdog, but when we're summarizing things a year later, it helps. Uh, They were favored at home against Kentucky. They lost 23, 13. They were favored home against Louisiana tech. They won 17, 16. They were favored, uh, let's see, at home against Vanderbilt. They won basically what was a direct toss-up, 34-27. Uh, they were favored against, at home against a collapsing Florida, and they won 28-20 uh, against a Florida team that I believe had just gotten rocked by Missouri, among others, uh, and was about to get rocked by Florida State. They, they won 28-20. They were favored against Wofford, obviously, and they were up 20, uh, 14-10 midway through the third quarter. Like they played like crap as favorites last year, even no matter what the identity of the program is, they were favored in five games and basically played like crap in all of them. And that's, yeah, that's, that's, why must check this, that's why they installed this brilliant. They're going to right, play right. like crap faster. <laughs> all right. Okay. Um, let's, we can, we can talk about Tennessee and Kentucky in about two sentences. I don't know. Everyone asks about Tennessee. I don't know. You don't know. We don't know. There's there. We don't know. Yeah. All right. There's a ton of stuff to talk about as it relates to Jeremy Pruitt, the person and the coach, but more really as the career assistant, we don't know. All right. Uh, Kentucky. I just wrote a thing. I don't think it's up yet with bud about coaching over unders and who's going to get fired for win totals, whatever. Look, Mark Stoops has already been on the hot seat twice at Kentucky and survived because he's, he's able to sort of just stay in that little range Um, he's very comfortable in that range. He's probably going to remain in that range. Exactly. And I think that, I I mean, look, I just think that, I think the calculus in Kentucky is just, why can't we be Louisville? And, and I also think Kentucky as a fan base is either a disinterested because they're basketball powerhouse or B knowledgeable, or maybe C both to know that they, they may not even be Louisville all the time because Louisville has the benefit of a weaker schedule on paper sometimes. Um, but they want to beat Louisville and they want to be in that sort of realm and range. And I don't think I've never met a Kentucky fan. And I know a lot in Nashville who is expecting 10 wins consistently, right? Run up and have us, you know, run up and, and, Oh my God, we made the tax layer bowl. That's awesome. Otherwise there's a perfectly nice bowl here in Nashville called music city. <laughs> it's a, it's, it's a, it's a 45 minute to three hour drive for almost the entire fan base. That's, that's, it's fine. It's what, it, you know, Stoops is consistent enough of a coach to deliver that. Now they could probably be a little bit more dynamic on offense. Um, but well, defense it's, is its problem that uh, that's been, and it's always weird when that's a, when a defensive coordinator, a successful defensive coordinator takes over a program and bombs defensively. That's kind of yeah. I mean, Barry, Barry Odom's kind of fighting the same thing right now. Um, but like they had a pretty decent, like his second year, they had a pretty decent looking defense with good pass rush and good attacking. And you thought, okay, well maybe they're figuring that out. Um, and it's gotten a little bit worse every single year. Last year they were 69th in offensive S and P plus. And part of that had to do with Benny Snell struggling early. Once he got going, they kind of looked like they were supposed to, but they were 97th defensively. Uh, right. 
And like, they, they just, they have no identity at this point. And the identity that they had was based around uh, as much around Denzel Ware, who's gone uh, as anybody else. They still have, uh, and Courtney Love was the other linebacker who was pretty solid. They still got a, a linebacker named Josh Allen, who, man, I was, I'm so happy I get another chance to make this dig. Uh, might've been the best Josh Allen in college football last year. Damn, do it again. Josh Allen, linebacker of Kentucky, might've been the best Josh Allen in college football last year. Uh, what I mean by dynamic on offense is not so much about the production because I like Eddie Grant. Um, I did a thing with him when they were at Cincinnati. Um, it's that uh, Kentucky going again, back to the paradigm. Um, it's, it's a lot easier to live with that seven, eight win team, maybe six sometimes if you get to see a, a, a an accessible funness and that's, that's, you know, maybe a little more of the how mummy Mike Leachian type thing and less of, you know, probably something that might actually be better for you. So I'm saying it, it may, it may actually benefit Kentucky in terms of, of consistency in the brand to be a little riskier and a little flashier. That, that, that might be a problem this year. Cause I see their defense getting a little better and their offense getting a little worse. So. Exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, Arkansas, man, I am still convinced. And this is just one of them stupid things, but occasionally more often than not, I have a weird, stupid feeling about a team that I don't necessarily have like a beat on or inside track, but I I just have a feeling that, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be zero this year for sure. Right. But I think by the time November comes, you're going to see the, you're going to be able to identify the bones of a positive, effective program moving forward. Yeah, it's kind of a funny schedule for them this year because you do this does feel like a situation where maybe they're kind of only half speed out of the gates and it takes them a little while to figure out. But then come November, they're they're humming. Well, their schedule starts with three games. They're they're only favored. Let's see, in S and P plus in four games, but it starts with three of them. Uh-huh. and two major, major upset chances at Colorado State and then North Texas at home because North Texas is going to have that offense figured out um, uh, and may, per- perhaps more than Arkansas does in week three. And so you have upset opportunities in the bad way early and then late you've got upset opportunities in the good way if you're humming because you end yeah. with Vanderbilt at home, which wouldn't be an upset, but then you get no. LSU at home. And then at Mississippi State and at Missouri, which uh, could also be pretty good, obviously. But um, if you're suddenly playing at like a top 30 level, you're going to scare the hell out of at least one of those teams. So let me clarify. Let me clarify. Um, I am going to double down on what I just said, my gut feeling. I'm also going to say I expect them to lose to both Colorado State and North Texas. (laughs) All right. That's more than me. However, one of two. This is a team that I also think could rip off three wins. Mm -hmm. Ole Miss, Tulsa, Vanderbilt. Yeah. I don't know. Do you call them? I mean, the, the way you've got the win probability from Missouri at 33%. So it would be an upset. Yes. I think they could pull an upset in the final three, LSU, Mississippi state, yes, Missouri. Absolutely. And then there's four wins. Maybe there's, well, there's five because they open against Eastern Illinois. And I think that's the right kind of five and seven to make as you super psyched about next year. Exactly. Yeah. And then they, and then he, he's able to go back into the state of Texas and recruit, which is one of the main friggin' reasons he's hired. Um, and build off of that, especially, uh, you know, they get Ole Miss on right when Ole Miss could potentially fall apart completely because they're a firework. You know, they are a an IED to to a, a national title contender. They, they are going to lose to ULM and beat Auburn. It's going to be amazing. Ole Miss is going to use yeah. lose. To, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, something like that. I think I think will happen. Ole Miss will. It could be LSU. It could be Auburn. I don't think it's going to be Bama. 
but then they're also down the stretch. I, I, I fully expect them to fade and kind of burn out as, as the weight of all the NCAA stuff finally catches up with just a really like top loaded, talented team. Arkansas gets them sort of when that moment happens, um, they'll be coming off of Alabama. They're going to get murdered. Um, that's their lowest win probability on your chart. That makes no, I'm so, how do you have a win probability at Auburn lower than at home versus Bama? Cause it's on the road versus at home and Auburn's projected very high. Stupid math. Um, uh, I definitely see them ripping off three with Ole Miss, Tulsa, Vanderbilt. Right. And honestly, I think that's just all, all Arkansas needs right now. They're not going to get, they, I think they're beaten down and calm enough to know right now what they've settled in for. Uh, now, uh, you say that, but let me Dude, tell you about Arkansas radio. <laughs> Arkansas, I'm telling you, Arkansas oh fan base has changed. The shroud of the Ozarks has changed. I don't I, get it. They're I, not even mad at Houston Nut anymore. Oh, what's wrong with oh man like it's funny though like you know this is like the, we're now like basically in the second week of august like this is peak optimism time for every program so it's a very funny time to do arkansas and tennessee radio at the moment yeah um because they will ask you like four different ways but nine and three is possible right you know like you can tell this is where they're, they're really wanting you to say that and i'm not gonna fall for that but this is the time of year where they're, they're really like, okay, I think we can do really, really well. And, and it, once, once reality sinks in and like you lose to North Texas or whatever, then you understand the situation again. But at this exact point in the year, everybody thinks they're going nine. Right, Tennessee fans are like, you just pulled them out of a car accident. They're like, there's blood on my shirt. I'm like, dude, you don't have legs. Like you just, they, they, they don't, they haven't processed it yet. They still haven't. Um, <laughs> on that lovely and descriptive and slightly disrespectful note, um, Let's table the rest. Um, please don't make me talk about Vanderbilt right now. Um, <laughs> I want to wait a little bit on AM um, based on some of my own work. Uh, uh, let's say Jimbo adjacent. Uh, um, and then um, I just really can't bring myself to talk about Ole Miss anymore, even though, even on football terms. AJ Brown's good. Just, They're going to explode. We just AJ did Brown's it. amazing. Um, they are going to be a lose to ULM beat Auburn kind of program this year. That's really all that needs to be said. They're going to be fun as hell, even if you, even if your own experiences will never fully allow you to enjoy the the stupidity that is sometimes Ole Miss football. It is going to be fun to watch. Oh no! I mean, for as far as doing my job and watching teams and recommending, hey, that'll be fun. That'll be pointsy. Like, yeah, they're definitely up there they're They're gonna gonna be be the ULM of the SEC let's put it that way yeah all right Bill we have to put a pen in it here it's obnoxiously early for us to be signing off but that's because we'll be back this week yeah and we've already done well over an hour by the way so we're we're really I know we'll get better We'll get better. All right, guys. Again, uh, please dump all the Ask PAPN questions. Uh, I know you guys have already started earlier in the week because we conditioned you to. Um, but go ahead, hashtag Ask PAPN. Hit us up on the uh, Reddit r backslash PAPN. Uh, we will answer those questions in the mailbag portion on the second show of the week. Uh, last thing we didn't mention: we are still figuring out days of the week on air dates for the midweek shows so we know sunday s&p plus like we talked about we don't know if we're going to be monday thursday tuesday thursday wednesday friday we don't know yet so just bear with us all right we'll see you guys bill when are we doing the next show friday we're recording it tomorrow it'll go up on friday fantastic see you then roll tide